Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 130 with Mark Babbitt. In this episode, Mark kind of gives us a double portion, kind of two separate topics. One, his deep expertise on interns and internships in that world he shares, as well as your own universe of personal branding, social media, and how that unfolds. So you're going to learn, one, how internships may be more mutually beneficial than you think. Two, a step-by-step guide to building high-quality internships. And three, two simple questions for accelerating your career. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep130 or awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep130, depending on how you read that long URL to yourself. While you're at that website, please check out some of our cool stuff from the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course help slash waste out of your work week to the gold nugget email summary insights from each guest. Here's Mark's story. Mark Babbitt is a career and leadership mentor and the CEO and founder of U-Turn, a community for young talent looking for internships, mentorships, and actionable advice. He's also the president of Switch and Shift, a consultancy firm looking to bring leaders to the social media age. He's written for the likes of the Business Insider, the Huffington Post, and the Harvard Business Review. He's published two books, The Ultimate Guide to Internships and A World Gone Social. Here's Mark. Mark, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. My pleasure, Pete. Thank you. Well, I think we're going to have a really fun chat. And I'd like to, first of all, hear a little bit about your story behind U-Turn and how it took off. That's a very clever name, interns, U-Turns, like driving. What's the story behind all this? So I have been in a couple startups in the online recruiting world. And it occurred to us at the end of the second startup that there was a lot of work still to be done in that space. But somehow we had taken the human out of human resources. All we had to do was click that apply now button 200 times and Uh. something good would happen. And we were no longer building relationships. We were no longer seeking internships or apprenticeships. We weren't doing informational interviews. We weren't doing all of the things that we knew from World War II on were helping people build great careers. And so with U-Turn, we decided to put the emphasis back on the human aspect of career building. And for the first year or so, I have to tell you, it was was like crickets. Nobody cared. And it didn't matter how good of a blog post we wrote or, or how often we spoke on college campuses, we were still completely, absolutely happy with just clicking that apply now button on a monster and career builder and indeed. And then the recession hit and unemployment went from 13.2% to 12.3%. And all of a sudden people needed an edge. They needed to work hard to find work. It wasn't just enough to have a degree anymore. And that's when U-Turn really started taking off. So the recession hurt many and we'd never wish that on anyone, but it sure helped our business model and it sure made what we were saying highly relevant. Well, that's nifty. So now if one were to get up in there, either as an employer or a work seeker, what would be some distinctive features there? Well, I think the biggest thing is our peer-to-peer networking and mentorship, and especially our blog. We have 
resume writers, recruiters, hiring managers, all contributing to our community and to our blog, giving out career advice that's priceless. The poor career centers at the universities and colleges and unemployment centers in the state and local offices, they're just so far behind the times, most of them, I should say, not all of them. And they're not giving out great advice. And that's what we take a lot of pride in. The advice that you'll see on U-Turn is not just good advice, it's actionable advice. And that's really important to us. Oh, that is so handy. Well, so I thought we'd have a really great conversation in particular about just sort of the notions of interns, because I think, you know, many workplaces, they don't even sort of go through the trouble to bring interns in over the summer or another period of time. And so I'd like to get sort of your pitch, if you will, on why I imagine, if it's a fair assumption, you believe many workplaces should indeed be making the effort to bring on interns. Well, I think, you know, there's a lot of practical reasons. For instance, delegation is something that most small business owners, middle-level managers, that's an issue they fight all the time. How do I have enough time to do the work that's required of me? And how do I focus on the stuff that's really important when I'm doing the $10 an hour tasks all the time? And so there's a practical nature to it, certainly. But there's also a human aspect of it that comes into play. And that is, how are you building your succession plan? How are you filling your personnel funnel? How are you giving back both personally and as a company to the community and to the local college? And how are you stepping up as a mentor? And so we talk all the time that there's both the practical aspects and the human aspects of providing high quality internships that it's pretty hard to ignore. Mm, I hear you. So I guess I'm wondering, you made a nice case for the givers. Tell us a little bit more about the practical nature or for the takers who are like, oh my gosh, is it going to be worth my while to find someone and bring them up to speed and babysit them? And what can you share about some experiences from folks that have made that kind of a trade-off well worth making? Well, I love your point about the givers and takers. In our book, we talk a lot about the relentless givers, those who see themselves as mentors and want to fill that role. It, It is easier to bring on an intern when you have that mindset. For the takers, frankly, it's much harder. And and unfortunately, we talked about the recession just a minute ago in 2012, 2013. We had a lot more takers bringing on interns than we did givers. Mm. And especially, you know, the unpaid variety where they were just gophers and coffee fetchers and doing the filing and the copying. And there wasn't much value there, certainly not for the intern. And so at U-Turn, we carefully vet our employers. We want to make sure that they're more on the mentor scale, that, you know, higher on the mentor scale than they are the taker scale. And that's just really important. So to answer your question more directly, if you know you have those taker tendencies, maybe an intern isn't right for you. Yeah. Just to be completely, absolutely blunt, because an internship ideally should be a partnership. It should be one person working their butt off while helping you achieve your business goals while you set out to serve as a mentor and to teach and to provide a learning environment that they just can't get in the classroom. That's why they're there. They aren't there to do all your odd jobs and menial tasks. They're there to learn. And you have to provide that kind of environment. Okay. Well, well well-spoken. And I've had this experience myself, sort of hiring interns, and it's been very enriching in terms of being able to have some help at a low price but also getting a real sense of learning in terms of, oh, you know, here I'm seeing all about, you know, podcasts and how those work and ID3 tagging and all the things associated with bringing a show into the light as well as doing a little bit of write-ups and what makes for an intriguing content. And sort of I'll offer my feedback and it's been a really nice sort of give and take. So I guess I'm wondering then if 
someone is considering bringing on interns, what are some of the first steps, the first considerations? We're recording this in March. Tell me, maybe what's the timeline like? So especially if you're looking for a summer intern, and Pete, you know this, interns aren't just summer internships anymore. There's year-round internships. There's summer and fall semester internships. There's virtual internships. It's not 90% summer internships like it used to be. But if that's what you're looking for and the timing is just about right for that, then boy, the time to get started is now because the people that see themselves as overachievers that are doing really well in school, that are absolutely focused on building a great career, the Googles, the Facebooks, the IBMs, the Ford Motor Companies, they're grabbing up those people now. Matter of fact, they started grabbing up in January. So doesn't mean it's too late. Doesn't mean you can't find somebody amazing. It just may be from a smaller school or a new program, but the time to start is now. And so you'll take three to four weeks to flesh out the job description and figure out what you want. You'll take another two or three weeks to accept the applications, another two or three weeks to interview. And before you know it, summer's here anyway. Mm -hmm. So definitely the time to get started is pretty much right now. Okay. And so when it comes to thinking about the job description and what's kind of, you know, manageable or doable, it seems like there's really, in my experience, the name of the game is just finding that tricky balance between this is something strong, important, and meaningful, but it's not so mission critical that if you screwed it up, I'd be busted <laughs> you know, in my team or my role. So what are your thoughts in terms of how you measure out the responsibilities that are appropriate for an intern? Well, I got to tell you, there is that balance. And in so many employers, so many managers and mentors stress about what we're going to teach this week, next week, seven, week 13. And there is something to be said for having a more formalized learning program, especially if you can work on that program, co-create that program with the intern. I think that's a wonderful idea. But here's the reality. Most interns are just so grateful for the experience that if you are just, to use a buzzword, if you're completely transparent with them when they walk in one morning and go, you know what, I have been slammed with mission critical items. I have no idea what we're going to work on together today. Let's go figure that out. And just sit down and have a cup of coffee for 10 minutes. They're more than okay with being flexible and being generous with their time and being a little patient. And so we tell employers all the time, take all that stress away, all that anxiety about, oh, I have to have the whole next 13 weeks plan. No, you don't. You have to have the next 13 minutes plan <laughs> and then the next 13 minutes. And it really is that simple. Now that you can't do that for the whole summer, of course, Pete, you know that. But once in a while, man, give yourself a break, give the intern a break and just say, okay, we're going to work on this today. But right now I have this incredibly big fire to put out and I need a few minutes to think about how you can help me do that. So go have a cup of coffee, come back in 10 minutes. We're going to figure this out together, right? And just be flexible, be as flexible as the intern is willing to be. You know, I really like that candor and openness and it sounds so right on. And I guess I'm wondering then, what are some things you can do to help get the intern's sort of skills up to speed quickly so that we're making some real meaningful contributions pretty fast? Other than, of course, giving them many episodes of the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. So I think it starts with candor. It starts with, you know, on that first day or maybe during the first week on the onboarding process. Ask this question. Anybody does this, Pete. 
what besides the technical skills that you hope to gain while you're here, and that's probably based on your degree and the industry that we work within. But other than those things, what are the three soft skills that you want to develop while you're here? What's most important to you? And by getting that input right from the start, from the intern, now you are co-creating a learning plan. You're remembering two weeks, four weeks, six weeks into this process that, wow, Emily said she really needed to learn these three things. And we really haven't touched on those in a concrete way. Let's get that going now. Or a project will come up and you'll go, oh, I just don't have the bandwidth for this right now. Who am I going to put on this? And then you remember, oh, Emily wanted to work on her communication skills. That's exactly what this project is about. No, she may not be qualified, but with a little supervision, I'll get the work done and she'll gain the skills. And so it really does become a co-creation process. And the learning that happens is mutually beneficial at that point rather than dictated or it doesn't feel forced anymore. It's actually working for both sides. So give us a couple of the super practical quick how-tos, like what's kind of standard compensation these days? So minimum wage is minimally acceptable, but here's the reality. McDonald's is paying 10 25 an hour. You know, pretty soon in many cities like San Francisco and Seattle, you won't be able to find interns, even entry-level professionals for less than $15 an hour. So as you're deciding how much to pay an intern, decide how much it would cost to have a real employee do that work. You know, a qualified employee, you don't have to pay that much, right? Mm -hmm. But pay 60% of that, right? If a good customer service rep would cost you $25 an hour, then offer 15 rather than minimum wage, right? And make it, again, mutually beneficial because that intern is going to do qualified work that you can quantify on your bottom line. They are going to help you achieve your business goals. And that's usually worth more than minimum wage. Understood. Absolutely. Yes. And so I've been blessed sort of hiring out of great schools like Northwestern and their journalism program, which has been pretty handy for doing some journalistic type work. So give us the lowdown on where should we go to find outstanding people? It definitely starts with your local universities and colleges. That's undoubtedly the best place to start. But I have to tell you more and more, probably over the last five years, we've seen this shift from utilizing the services of the career centers on campus to networking and specifically social recruiting. You would be amazed how many applications you get going to Facebook, going to LinkedIn groups, going on Twitter, going to small talent communities like Albert's List and maybe U-Turn and actually putting the word out and saying, I'm looking for a journalism major who would love to do some digital media work. Here's what my company does. Here's the kind of person I'm looking for. Let's see if we have a match. And so that's happening a lot on digital and social media now. Well, that's the perfect segue. I do want to ask about your latest book here, A World Gone Social. So give us sort of like, what's the overall philosophy of this book and some key takeaways that we should think through, both in terms of social media recruiting and just the social media element of careers in general? Well, thanks for asking. First, I should say, you know, books are funny things. Anybody who's written a book knows this, but the book's been out about two and a half years now. We're working on the second book as we speak with an update, but World Gone Social was released in late 2014, which means it was written in late 2013. And so much has changed in the social sphere now that it's certainly worthy of an update at this point. But here's what's most interesting is we, at the time, 
talked about how much business had already changed because of social media, not just sales, not just marketing, not just, you know, consumerism, but how we attract top talent, how we retain that talent, how we learn from each other, how to build a great employer brand, how to treat our customers, how to treat our employees, how to promote, how to fire. We learn so much of this now through social media. And it's actually quite gratifying to see some of the things that we now wrote three, three and a half years ago coming to fruition, including our most recent presidential election. We said, you know, pretty soon elections are going to be won and lost on social media. And that's exactly what happened in the last cycle. So it happened, but frankly, much faster than we thought it would. But there it is. And the book is basically about how much social media has changed almost every aspect of our lives, but certainly how we run our businesses and treat our customers and our employees. Okay. Well, so I guess I'm wondering if if you're thinking about your typical ambitious professional, what are some sort of key developments or nuggets or practices that they should take on as a result of this new landscape? Well, I think if you're a business owner, we absolutely have to embrace every aspect of social media. I mean, we now live in what we call the testimonial economy. What we say about us through traditional marketing or advertising doesn't matter that much anymore. Why? Because people are going to Yelp and Google reviews and TripAdvisor and Porch and Angie's List and a million other sites, and they're leaving what consumers feel are objective reviews about your product or service. If you get a negative review, don't get defensive, don't go crazy, you know, grab up all the emotional intelligence you can gather in just a quick answer. I'm so sorry we didn't meet your expectations today. I'm going to make this right. Please email me at marketuturn.com. I got this. And boom, you're done. That's it. People see that, you know, three and a half sentences and they think, okay, here's a guy who cares. So that's on the business side. On the personal side, man, a degree is not enough anymore. Experience is not enough anymore. You have to be known as a subject matter expert. And the best way to do that, even though it's another very overused cliche term, is your personal brand. You have to show social proof that you actually know what you're talking about. And that's, you know, through testimonies, through recommendations, through endorsements. Again, what you say about you doesn't matter. It's what your former boss says about you, what your colleagues say about you, your vendors, your customers, the people you served. If they're saying good things about you, an employer is going to believe that you can do the job. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so anything else that comes to mind for the professional to do? So you want to make sure you're kind of actively collecting those in terms of on LinkedIn or wherever, in terms of this person did a great job on this and that you're perhaps sharing some content that shows you're plugged in and knowledgeable about some things and making some content. Any other sort of pro tips in terms of just smart stuff we should do on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera? Yes, Pete, I'll tell you one of my favorites. And you've probably seen this. How many times have you read a resume for an intern or a new employee or even a colleague and it says they're passionate about marketing? And then you go to their online presence and frankly, you even continue reading their resume or their cover letter. And there is no indication that they're passionate about marketing <laughs> at all. None. Right. Have you seen that? I have a million times. And so here's something really simple a professional can do. If you're in marketing, go to your Facebook page, go to Twitter, go to LinkedIn and three or four times a week, put up the newest post by Seth Godin, put up the newest post by people that you trust and you follow a social agency or or a subject matter expert on advertising, wherever you are doing your self-learning from, share that with the world. It tells everyone checking you out online. And by the way, everybody, 
whether you're a job seeker, a freelancer, a solopreneur, a consultant, everybody checks you out online now. Prove online that you really do care about what you do for a living and customers and employers will flock to your profiles. Mm, That's great. Thank you. Well, Mark, you were quick to share lots of good stuff in a hurry. Tell me, is there anything else you really want to make sure we cover about interns or social media before we kind of shift gears and hear about your favorite things? Well, so just one thing, as much as personal branding has become a cliche or a buzzword, it really does boil down to two things, Pete. You have to be able to answer two questions. One, what are you really, really good at? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Where do you get your energy from? And if you can answer that, you're in pretty good shape. But if you can answer the second question, you're even in better shape. The second question is who will pay you to do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know that's so much different than the what do you want to be when you grow up question, right? Nobody ever asks what are you really, really good at and who will pay you to do that? So take a few moments over morning coffee or some time over this weekend, you know, in a quiet moment and answer those two questions well, and you'll be ahead of about 95% of your branding competition. Well, those are potent questions. And if I could put you on the spot, Mark, how about, could you answer that for us? And then I'll answer it. And then we'll just have two examples on record to inspire the exercise. Well, yes, I've never been asked that. That's wonderful. I am really, really good at solving problems and meeting challenges by getting the right people in the right room at the right time. Hmm. And who will pay me to do that? I'm lucky there isn't a company in the world, there isn't a person in the world that doesn't have a product, a service, or an identity problem that doesn't need help. And by putting the right people in the right room at the right time, we can usually solve that problem. Oh, that's fun. I love that. Thank you. I'll go with, and it is alliterative, and that's just sort of how I, I like love to it remember already. things. <laughs> but I get so fired up about discovering, developing, and disseminating knowledge that transforms the experience of being alive. And so, and that wow, could, oh, yeah, that's thanks. Great. <laughs> well, it really does. I was just chatting with another podcaster who was giving me some tips, and I was giving her some tips. I was like, my heart was thumping. It's like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. I'll save this money. I'll develop more audience, you know, because there was a sense of discovery there. And other times in the earthen day, I was developing something, a potential product to help professionals and just sort of thinking and ideating, and it was fun. And then just sharing it with the world and hearing them react, you know, disseminating is a blast as well. So folks who pay for that are kind of learning and development type professionals in different corporations, you know, as well as individuals that I can reach through the podcast and different kind of team leaders, managers of all sorts, like my enhanced thinking and collaboration training programs. It's like, hey, our team would like to discover some of these things to slash some waste out of our work week. So go for it. So whether it's spiritual or professional or personal finance, it's just like, I just geek out about discovering something and then working with it to be like, oh yeah, this is the stuff. Well, not only Pete is that full of alliteration, I can tell, and so can your audience, I know how passionate you are about that. And that makes all the difference in the world. You have this thing nailed. Now imagine if all of the listeners to your show could not only articulate what they're really, really good at and who will pay them to do that, but do it in a passionate way you could just dump the elevator pitch. You would never have to use state, recite an elevator pitch again in your life if you could do what you just did. That's exciting. Thank you. Fun. Well, now if you could maybe disseminate for us (laughs) some of your favorite things, Mark. 
maybe to start us off, how about a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So there was a sign in Japanese above a hotel room I was in in Okinawa in 1981, and it said, fall down seven times, get up eight. And I've carried that around with me everywhere I've gone since. Oh, thank you. So is the extra time, is just that you're that resilient or you woke up before you started falling down? <laughs> oh, I think, think maybe more resilience, uh, relentless, relentless resilience might be it. Oh, perfect. And how about a favorite study or experiment or piece of research? Well, that's ongoing. I have fallen in love just in the last week or so. I mean, I'm a research, a data geek. So I'm always looking at the latest research. But Gallup just released a 215 page report on the state of the American workplace. And it's just absolutely fascinating what we're learning in there. Oh, I haven't looked at it yet. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to dig in. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Well, my favorite book is still the first business book I ever read. I was in the military when I read it and being trained as an engineer and still was an engineer in Silicon Valley for 10 years. But In Search of Excellence remains my favorite, oh, favorite yeah. book of all time. Oh, we should get Peters on the show. That'd oh, well, yeah. Well, and highest compliment ever, Tom Peters went on Twitter and talked about how much he loved a world gone social. So it was kind of a dream come true. Oh, that is cool. Congratulations. And how about a favorite tool, whether it's an app or software or product or service to something that helps you be awesome at your job? Oh, this goes along with my technology geekdom, but I am all about collaboration tools right now. We're so into Slack and Glip and Nosby and and all these things because we run three companies. All of them are virtual. We all work at home with our babies and our dogs and our families and our parents. And so anything that helps me communicate and collaborate virtually, that's way up on my list. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that helps you flourish? Well, I wasn't always like this. So I'm going to say that right up front. At one point in my life, I became a single parent with full custody of four kids. And I had to learn how to be a morning person. And Mm -hmm. that was 15, 20 years ago. And I still, I'm up and I'm at my computer at five o'clock every morning. I have a completely structured day. Unless I'm traveling, I do not deviate. I'm that early riser who gets more stuff done before noon than most people get done all day. And that's my go-to habit. Okay. And is there a particular sort of nugget or Mark original quote, an articulation of your message that really seems to connect and resonate with people, getting them, you know, nodding their heads, taking notes, retweeting and such? There is. And it actually started out as my social media rule, but now it's my rule for life. And it goes something like this. When I'm associating with people, this is my rule. No trolls, no drama queens, no divas, no takers, no fakers, and no assholes. Oh, assholes. Assholes. That's a right? new one for me. Uh, assholes. <laughs> Daisy Wright coined that term, who's a wonderful lady in the career space. And how many people come up to you and you meet them after a talk? Could you spend three hours on my resume telling me what's wrong? No, we just met. Build a relationship first, then ask for a favor, right? It's especially on social media, it's so deafening and so time consuming. And so those six types of people, you know, you talked about givers and takers. I have very little tolerance for takers. If we can't build a mutually beneficial relationship, if you can't give as much as you can take, even if you're a matcher, Mm -hmm. as Adam Grant specified them, I can deal with matchers, but you can't be a taker or I'm not going to invest too much time in you. Okay. Thank you. And Mark, is there an ideal place to contact you or get in touch if folks want to learn more and see what you're up to? Absolutely. You'll find me a lot on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Mark S. Babbitt, B-A-B-B-I-T-T. I also still answer my own email, every email, every tweet that comes in. That's me. 
And uh, it's mark at U-turn.com, Y-O-U-T-E-R-N.com. Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Well, you know, Pete, we laid it out, didn't we? So my challenge is go answer those two questions. Take that quiet moment. And if you can't answer those questions, then go out to your mentors, your the people who know you well, your current boss, your network, and say, what am I really, really good at? If you don't know the answer to this question, there's a lot of discovery to be done. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, thanks so much. This has been a ton of fun. And I wish you much luck as you turn and forward heroes and, and all you're up to just grow and flourish. Well, thank you, Pete. Thanks for having me on the show. So if getting an intern was not yet on your radar, maybe it should be in terms of the benefits and how there's maybe less babysitting required and less sort of pressure and expectation for you to work it. But hurry up. It's March. But as you mentioned, there's other times for it. So just something to keep in the back of your head for now or later. And again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep130. And I do recommend you punch the subscribe button so you won't miss folks like our next guest, Dr. Ray Hull. He's an expert on speaking well. And we go a little bit meta as we talk about the rate of speech, slow talkers, fast talkers, what's optimal, sneak preview, I'm a faster talker. And we'll have some interesting conversations about that. And we'll bring some numbers to bear from our hardworking transcriptionists so you can quantify that a little bit along the way. So I think that's fun. I hope you will too. So until then, peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.